Uh, this morning is a pretty, uh, pretty powerful testimony uh, or encounter we're going to be looking at um, in Scripture. And um, it's a story of uh, Jesus and uh, a man named Lazarus. Uh, before I uh, open uh, and kind of walk through that story, I, I want to ask uh, one question, and it's, I'm going to ask many questions today, but this is my opening question, is what kind of belief do you want to have? Do you want to have a belief uh, that is unshakable, or do you want to have a belief that is shakable, as it were? Uh, let me define what I mean by shakable, unshakable belief. I would define unshakable as this, the one whose belief in God is not rattled and is unchanging, uncompromised, regardless of the events, good or, good or bad, that happen in their life. So regardless of what happens in your life, your belief in God keeps you founded and grounded. You can't be shaken. Whether it's really good stuff, that doesn't derail you, as it were. Whether it's bad stuff, whether it's horrific stuff, you are a man or a woman who has a belief in God that cannot be shaken. It is an unshakable belief. So do you want that? Now, defining shakable, I would say the one whose belief in God resembles that of a roller coaster, just constantly up and down depending on the events of the day. Your belief in God is more dependent on what's happening in your life than actually who God is. Now, my hope would be all of us would be like, well, of course, that's a no-brainer. I want to have an unshakable belief. I want to live my life not reflecting or resembling that of a roller coaster. I want to have a belief that no matter what happens to me, around me, that I can't be shaken. I absolutely cannot be shaken. Well, the encounter we're looking at today uh, is not just the encounter that Jesus actually has with Lazarus. There's a couple different people that Jesus encounters uh, in this story. Uh, and as we go through uh, this story, uh, I think the thing that we can learn, that we can take away from this encounter that we're going to read in John chapter 11, uh, is Jesus' desire for you, would that you, that you would have an unshakable belief. That no matter what happens in your life, good, bad, and different, that you couldn't be shaken because of your belief. Uh, we'll walk through that. So my big, big main question uh, this morning is this, is how can I cultivate a belief in Jesus that is unshakable? How can I cultivate a belief in Jesus that is unshakable? Okay, the story we're looking at today uh, is a story of Jesus doing the absolute unthinkable. He raises someone who had been dead for four days. He raises this man back uh, to life. So this is the quick storyline. There is a man named Lazarus. He becomes deathly sick. And he's got two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha see that their brother is sick. And so they send a messenger, go tell Jesus that Lazarus, the one whom he loves, tell him that he is sick. I think their hope would be once Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, Jesus would swoop in, save the day, and Lazarus would be healed. They'd seen it countless times. Jesus had healed many people. So this is a sickness. Surely, get word, get message to Jesus. He shows up, Lazarus gets better. Well, when Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick, rather than rushing off to his friend, uh, Jesus actually waits a few days. And what's interesting about this story is it wasn't like, you know, there's, we don't know what he did for those two days. 
John, the author of the story, doesn't actually say, well, Jesus was preoccupied or busy or he had some big conference he had to attend. We don't know what Jesus did, but what we do know is when he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, rather than rushing off to go see, heal his friend, he waits. Eventually, Jesus goes and sees Lazarus. Now, Lazarus has been dead. By the time Jesus shows up, uh, Lazarus has been dead and buried in the tomb for four days. Now, you've got Mary and Martha, the two sisters, and you've got the small village that they live in, and all of them are left with this one question. If Jesus would have shown up, this wouldn't have happened. If Jesus would have come, if he would have been here, this, this would not have happened because Jesus would have prevented it. So the end of the story, Jesus is completely, he's not phased by the people's questions of, man, Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you come? You could have done something. Well, Jesus, undeterred by people's disappointment that he didn't show up, Jesus does the absolute unthinkable. He says, roll away the grave, uh, the, the rock in front of the tomb, and he calls a dead man who'd been dead for four days to come out, and the dead man comes out. Now, I don't think any one of us have ever seen this. Is that, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure none of us have ever seen someone who was dead and buried in a tomb for four days actually physically come out uh, and be raised back to life. So this is a miracle of miracles, class A miracle here that Jesus uh, has just performed. Now, just sit with that just for a moment. Just consider the storyline here. Jesus raised someone back to life. As I said, this is not just an encounter with Lazarus, a, a dead man who gets raised back to life. This is an encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, two sisters, Lazarus uh, as well. And it's an encounter that he has with an entire village, uh, people who are not only sad that Lazarus was sick and then died, but now very skeptical of, you could have done something, Jesus. You could have prevented this. Uh, so Jesus' heart in all of this story is that all of these people, the disciples, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the entire town, the entire village would have unshakable belief that they would come to believe in Jesus. So five things I'm going to walk through as we go through this story in a little bit more detail. Five things that we learn from this story that will help us, help you, help me, that help them cultivate uh, an unshakable belief. Now, I'll go back to the original question of, do you want to have unshakable belief, or would you just be okay living life like a roller coaster, up and down, your relationship as God is totally driven by the events of your life? Jesus wants us to have a belief in him that we cannot be shaken. So, five things. Number one is this. First, we cultivate unshakable belief when we learn to see that all the events in our life, good or bad, are used by God to bring glory to God. That's number one. Unshakable belief. We learn to see that all, and I mean all, events in our life are used by God to bring glory to God. The story started out with a man who was deathly sick, and he had a very concerned family. And it says in John 11, verse 3, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, 
Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, they didn't directly invite Jesus, please come, but they just assumed once Jesus hears the one he loves is sick, Jesus would race to get to see Lazarus so he could heal him. Well, Jesus does not do that, but what Jesus does in verse 4, he says this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I have to believe the guys who were carrying the message that Lazarus is sick are looking at Jesus and be like, well, what do we tell Martha and Mary? Are you coming or are you not coming? Jesus said, you know, this sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. Okay, well, do we just tell them that? Are you coming with us? Are you coming later today? Or So the messengers go back, and what do they find as soon as they get back? They find Lazarus is dead. So now the messengers are left with a bit of a dilemma here. Uh, gosh, what do we, we don't know if he's coming. He didn't tell us. He told us that this sickness would not end in death, but he's dead. So either Jesus lied, is a lunatic, or what do we tell Martha and Mary? Well, I think they probably told him, Martha, I know this doesn't look good right now. Mary, I realize this is kind of an awkward thing to tell you, but this is what Jesus said. The sickness will not end in death, but this sickness will be used uh, to glorify God. Now, the question here is, how do you share with someone the promise of God? And the promise was this will not end in death. This is going to be used by God to bring glory to God. How do you share with someone the promise of God when it would seem there is no possible way that the promise will actually come true? Well, Jesus' answer to them was, what you see as something bad, sickness and death, is actually going to be used by, by God for something really, really amazing. See, how I answer that question is, how can I look to someone and tell them, even though the circumstance does not look good, even though the event is completely, it looks bad, it looks horrific. What Jesus wanted them to know, what Jesus wanted them to believe, is that what's happening right now is ultimately going to be used by God to bring glory to God. Now, I realize that there's at least one, if not many, who are here today who are in the midst of it, who are in the thick of it, who your life could be summed up by it's just pain. It's a lot of hurt. Whether it's just caused by years and years and years of abuse, neglect, whatever it might be. I realize that you could be sitting here today and you're like, clearly God is not using all events to bring glory to himself. Maybe some events, but you look at the event you're currently in and you're left at best wondering, how could God possibly be using this to, be, to glorify himself? So if that's you, if it's just one of you, if not many, this would be my encouragement because that's a fair question. What do you do? What do you do when you're in the thick of it? There was a sickness. Now there's a death for Lazarus and his story. What do you do? Well, my encouragement, my challenge would be offer up a very simple prayer. And the prayer would sound something like this. God, how might 
you be glorified best in the midst of you fill in the blank. Offer up a prayer. God, how might you be glorified most in the midst of, of this? And allow God to speak to you about how he is using this event to draw you closer to him, thus he's being glorified. Now, I want to be clear, what I am not saying is that all events will be without pain. Okay, I'm not saying that your painful experience, circumstance right now, I'm not saying this is easy or it wouldn't be hard, but what I am saying is when I have the perspective, when I have the truth that God is using all events in my life that he would be glorified, I can look at my pain and say there's purpose in it. Now, the problem is when you don't believe that there's actually purpose in your pain, you're led to utter despair and hopelessness. Now, I want to be clear also, what I am saying is that all events, even the most horrific events, are used by God to bring people to the point where they finally realize what I need most right now is God. And when someone turns, when someone looks up, when someone realizes that what they need most right now is, is God, is a relationship with God, is God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God is glorified because we turn to him. Now, the reality is, and I'll be hopefully clear with this, is that we do not always see how God uses the events of our life to bring him glory. But what carries us through those times of uncertainty where you can't really name how God is actually going to use this horrific event, this trying event, this hard event. You don't really know how God is going to use that. You believe he will, but you're living in the in-between of, I just don't know how he's going to use that. How do you still walk with God through that? And Spurgeon's got a great quote for us on this. Spurgeon says, we cannot always trace God's hand but we can always trust God's heart. So you might not know how God is going to use the tragic events, the hard events, the painful events, the frustrating events, the confusing events. We can believe that he's using them. We don't always get to see how. And so in between those times of how, I trust that God's good. Now, for me, I think uh, an experience for me where I knew that God was going to use this, but I have no idea. And to this day, I have no idea how God used this event. Now, we lost our third child. We had Tristan, we had Riley, and then Kyla was pregnant. We lost our third child. And I remember specifically, we were on vacation uh, visiting Kyla's parents in Indianapolis, and uh, she usually stays for usually like a week or two after I go uh, just to enjoy extra time with her parents and the kids get to see the grandparents. And I literally flew, got a, uh, a phone message from Kyla that she had fallen and that she had to be taken to the hospital and we knew she was pregnant and stuff. So there was obviously concerns. Uh, and so I got back on the plane and uh, flew back to Indianapolis. I have no idea to this day, no idea how God would use the loss of our child 
to be glorified. But I do know that God uses all events, even hard ones. Now, if you've ever experienced the loss of a child, miscarriage of a child, you, like it would be an understatement to say that it's a painful experience. But what happened for Kyla and I in the midst of, God, what's up with this? How could you possibly use this? What happened in our relationship with God is that God drew us closer to him. We learn to lean on him even more. We learn to just trust that in the midst of not knowing, we still believe that God was good. So I just want to be clear, as was with Lazarus, it didn't look good. He was dead. How could you possibly use something as horrific as the death of our, our brother, as our son, to, for you to be glorified? Well, I trust in and believe in the goodness of God And the first thing that you need to know, if you would be a man or woman who would have unshakable belief that no matter what happens, good or bad, then you need to believe that God uses all things that he would be glorified through them. Second thing is this. We cultivate unshakable belief when we trust God's timing in all things is always best for us and those around us. Cultivate unshakable belief when we trust that God's timing in all things is always best for us and those around us. So John 11 says this, verse 5 and 6, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus, if you really loved him, Why on earth did you not drop everything that you were doing in that moment and run to Lazarus where he was? What's up with the delay? It's clear you love him. So why do you delay in actually going to Lazarus? And what I want us to see is sometimes the most loving thing that Jesus can do is to keep us in a place of waiting on him. Sometimes the most loving thing that Jesus can do for you, for me, for Martha, for Mary, for that entire town was delay. Was to keep us in a posture or position of waiting on him. How many times have you seen in your life the delay of God and made the conclusion he must not care? How many times did God not show up when you commanded him to, asked him to, And God didn't perform like you wanted him to perform. And so your conclusion was, well, clearly God does not care about me. Because if he did, he'd be here. He'd be doing something. He'd fix this. He'd get me out of this mess that I've gotten myself in. Now, Mary, Martha, the entire townspeople were asking Jesus this very question and wondering this very thing. Let me read a few verses. Uh, Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Martha's uh, sister Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 35 through 37, Jesus weeps. Then the Jews said, well, see how we loved him. Conclusion, if you love him, you show up. And verse 37, it says, but some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
everyone is wondering, Jesus, you could have done something. You delayed. He died. Your apparent love for him does not match up with your timing of when you came. So, Jesus, why the delay? Go back a few verses in 14 and 15 when he's explaining the delay to his disciples. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. So let's go to him. See, in the delay, what Jesus was trying to stir in his disciples, eventually in Mary and Martha, the entire town, was that they would believe. If he would have shown up, maybe when they asked, Jesus would not have created the belief that he wanted to create in Martha, Mary, eventually Lazarus, and the entire town's people. The delay of God is not because God does not care, but the delay of God is another demonstration of the love of God. Another way to say that is, if you're experiencing the delay of God, that might be in that very moment right now, the most loving thing that God could be doing for you. Now, let's be honest. I think the person who probably struggled most with this was not the disciples, was not Mary, was not Martha, was not the town, was Lazarus. You have to believe Lazarus was like, man, I've seen Jesus do this a hundred times. Where is he? Why isn't he coming for me? Why doesn't he show up? Can you imagine if Lazarus' last thought was, wow, Jesus could have done something. You know, he's just a, a half a day walk. Jesus was, by the way, a few miles away. Okay, it wasn't like he needed to sprint a marathon just to get there. He was about a, a four to six hour walk away. Lazarus knew where Jesus was. You have to know or believe that Lazarus is thinking, Jesus, why I'm dying? Why aren't you coming to heal me? It's really amazing when I was thinking about that question is, wow, Jesus or Lazarus had to die, be in the grave for four days before he got his answer. He's left wondering, where is God? Why isn't Jesus showing up? And it wasn't until he came out of the grave that he got his answer of why Jesus did what Jesus did. The reality is that sometimes God wants us to stay in the grave, as it were, so that when we come out, it's not so much about us, but it's all about what God has done. See, God is not looking for you to be impressed by you or for others around you to be impressed by you. God wants to use all things in his timing that he would be glorified so that when Lazarus came out of the tomb, no one praised Lazarus. No one said, Lazarus, that was a heck of a trick. Everyone put their belief in Jesus. Question, when you are living in the season of God's delay, what do you do? Because you might be in it right now. Where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where's my job? Where's You might be living in the season of in-between of, God, when are you going to fix this broken marriage? God, when are you going to heal this addiction? God, when are you going to do X, Y, Z? So when you are in the midst of delay, how do you actually live well in the midst of delay? And I think Jesus' answer for this is, trust that the delay of God is further evidence 
of the love of God, knowing that he ultimately is doing, is leading you towards greater belief. So you might be where you are and you might be where you are for a longer season than you might want to be, but God's desire, Jesus's desire, is that you come out of the season uh, not bitter, not angry, not frustrated, but with a greater belief. And it's the delay that will create a greater belief that would lead to an unshakable belief in Jesus. Thirdly, we cultivate unshakable belief when our belief is rooted in Jesus alone, who he is, not who we want him to be. Unshakable belief when our belief is rooted in Jesus alone. Now, I realize this might seem like a no-brainer, but in all reality, we often choose to believe whatever we want about Jesus. And our belief usually is formed by what's convenient, what's comfortable, because we don't want to believe in a Jesus that might actually say, no, you need to repent, you need to do that differently. So we come up with all these different ideas, beliefs about Jesus that allow me to keep living the lifestyle that I ultimately want to continue to live. If you live your belief in Jesus based on what's convenient for you to believe about Jesus, you'll be a shakable person. Because when the wind blows just a little bit, you get knocked over. Why? Because your belief is not founded on anything. So if you'd have a belief that is unshakable, it's going to be completely rooted in Jesus alone. And Jesus makes crystal clear in John 11, uh, verse 25, 26. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He says to Martha, do you believe that? Isn't that a an amazing thing that Jesus says of himself, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you're going to live. Even though you die, you're going to live. Do you believe that? Now, before I look at Martha's response of how she answered the question, let me ask you that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that belief in Jesus is, brings you life? That belief in Jesus as the resurrection, meaning he's got authority, power over death. That even when you die, your belief in Jesus is that Jesus actually raises me back to life to live with him in heaven forever. Do you believe in Jesus that even though you will die, he alone will usher you into eternal life? Now, if we say yes to this question, the ultimate outcome would have to be, no matter what happens in my life, it ultimately does not matter. I cannot be shaken because my belief in Jesus is that regardless, I'm going to have life and have life eternal. If you believe in Jesus, that he is resurrection, power over death, and life, that he is the one who ushers you into eternal life, then, man, no matter what, if you believe that, no matter what happens, you can't be shaken. And I think also, if we believe that about Jesus, we live not looking for life in the things of the world because we believe that in Jesus, we have everything we need. I don't need to look to anyone or anything else to find life, meaning, purpose, satisfaction. Well, because Jesus is life, complete life, full life. So do you believe that? This is how Martha answered the question. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him. 
I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I love what Martha did here is she placed her belief in a person, not in a concept, not in an idea that she had constructed in her head, but she looked to Jesus and said, if you say you're the resurrection and the life, I believe that you're the Savior, you're the Christ, you are God's Son. Now, I think many of us here today, maybe not all of us, but I think many of us would confess we believe in Jesus. We believe that he is resurrection. We believe that he is life. We believe that he grants eternal life to us. But in all reality, we still look to our functional saviors to do for us what Jesus is not doing for us. Now, a functional savior could just simply be defined as something that you're looking to, a relationship, a man, a woman, a sport, a hobby, a career, money, gratification, through sex, through alcohol, through drugs. Those are functional saviors. We look to these things to bring life, to bring a better sense of fulfillment. So we say in, in one voice, I believe Jesus is resurrection and life. But we look to our functional saviors, to bring us life. Now, if you are a person who looks to functional saviors, shakable. Why? Well, because the functional saviors are shakable. And if your functional savior is shakable, guess what? You're looking to him or her or it or a thing. Therefore, you will be shakable. As long as you maintain a functional savior, looking to someone or something else to do for you what Jesus has promised to do for you, shakable. But if you look to Jesus and your belief is in Jesus alone for who he is, who he said he was, who he claimed to be, who he proved to be, unshakable belief. Fourthly, we cultivate unshakable belief when we are obedient to the commands of God, regardless if the commands of God seem crazy and make no sense. I love this uh, part of the story. John uh, 38 or 11, verse 38, 39, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Command here, take away the stone, he said. Uh, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Have you ever tried to stop God from doing something because you thought God was about to embarrass himself? And so you're like, God, seriously, that's a bad move. You don't want to do that, so I'm going to have to ignore that command because if I did, you'd look silly, you'd look foolish. Well, I think Martha was not only concerned about the horrific odor. I love how it's the detail of Jesus. Man, it's going to be a wicked smell. And I think she was probably embarrassed for Jesus. Like, Jesus, you don't want to do that. Maybe you don't understand what a rotting, decaying body smells like, but... It's not good. But I think what Martha is also saying to Jesus, Jesus, what's the point? Why on earth would you tell me to roll back the stone to where my dead brother is laying? Like, Jesus, it's not only foolish, it's cruel. Why would you tell me? Can you imagine if someone had told you, hey, your brother has been dead for four days, but go dig him up, lift up the, the coffin, see what happens? That would be horrific. So I have to believe that Martha is like, Jesus, why would you ask me to do such a thing? 
because Jesus, it won't work, so I don't want to do it. It's not only foolish, but I know it won't work, so I'm not going to be obedient to what is a foolish or a silly command. I've seen this in my own life over the years of walking with God, and I've seen it in a lot of other Christian brothers and sisters. Obedience is optional. We decide what we obey depending upon how we think it will work out for us or depending on if it will be convenient for us. But if God gives us a command to do this, to go there, to leave here, to break away from that, to pursue this, if it does not match up and make me feel comfortable, if it's maybe going to cause me an inconvenience, if it maybe might cause me to look foolish or silly, well, Jesus, I'm going to choose to see that command as optional. I'll choose to embrace the commands that, do, that are going to bless me, but any other command like rolling away a stone, I'm not going to observe that one. Now, at face value, rolling away the stone seemed like a pretty silly idea, right? Now, in all reality, Jesus, who's about to raise this man back from the dead, could have just blown a puff of air and the stone would have just flown to Texas. Okay? He could have done it on his own. But yet Jesus wants to involve those that are there with the activity that he is about to, to do. And what I see with obedience is that God calls us to be obedient so we can participate with God in the activity of God. And when we are disobedient to the commands of God in our life, we miss out on the activity of God. Now, a lot of us kind of live and say, well, I just don't see God moving. I don't see what God's doing. And I would tell you, it's not because God is not active and it's not because God is not doing things. It might be because you're just being disobedient. And I cannot see the activity of God when God is commanded, when God has called me to do something. I refuse to do it because it's optional. And then I wonder, well, why doesn't God do something? Why isn't God working? Why isn't God speaking? Why isn't God moving? And my conclusion is, well, God's not good. Cultivating a belief that is absolutely unshakable means that I'm obedient to God in all things, in all times, in all places, regardless of if I think it's a silly, foolish, crazy command, regardless if I think it's going to put me out if you want to be a man or woman who's got a belief that is unshakable, be obedient. Lastly, number five is this. We cultivate unshakable belief when we dress like we believe we've been made alive. Verse uh, 44, uh, the very last verse in, um, in this story and Jesus said to them, this is uh, right at the very end, in uh, 44, it says, The dead man came out, his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love this picture that Jesus calls Lazarus from out of his tomb. Can you imagine if Lazarus was like thinking back to obedience here for a second? Jesus, this is not a good time for me. I've had a really rough four days, and um, there's a lot of people. 
kind of mulling around this this tomb area, and uh, I know that you're calling me to come out, but I prefer to stay in. I don't look good. I honestly don't smell that good, and uh, this is really just kind of a bad season for me. Can you imagine if Lazarus stayed in the tomb when Jesus called him out? Well, Lazarus comes out, and I have to believe Lazarus has to be thinking to himself like, wow, what on earth is going on? He's standing there in mummy, what he would look mummified. And Jesus says, take this man who is wearing a dead man's clothing, take it off and let him go. We cultivate unshakable belief when we dress like we believe we've been made alive. Practically speaking, what does it look like to dress like you are someone who has been made alive by Jesus? What I mean by dress like this is that your attitudes and your actions reflect that a miracle of God has taken place in your life. Because if Jesus did not show up, you would still be lost in your sin, separated from God forever. It is a miracle, class A miracle, when someone comes to Jesus. When someone's heart is softened towards Jesus, calls out to him as Savior, What it looks like practically is that you dress like. Your attitudes and your actions reflect a man or a woman who's been made alive by God. Meaning, I don't live my life like I used to be. Does that make sense? Jesus made me alive. It does not make sense to do the things that I did when I was once dead. It does not make sense for me to continue to choose sin, to choose disobedience, to choose rebellion, to choose hard-heartedness, to choose... Bitterness, unforgiveness. Well, that's what I used to do. But Jesus, class A miracle, makes you alive. Dress like, wear the clothing of a man or a woman who has experienced a class A miracle. Can you imagine if a week, a month, years went by, and uh, someone came to Lazarus and was like, Lazarus, dude, you're still wearing your grave clothes, man. Like, it's been years. Why are you still wearing your grave clothes? Uh, it's comfortable. Yeah, it's like a big pajama suit, man. You should try it. It's Lazarus, take off the clothes. Don't You're alive now. Don't wear dead man's clothes. If you would be a man or woman who's got a belief that is absolutely unshakable, then you will dress like you are a person who's experienced a class A miracle, that you are absolutely alive. Our attitudes and our actions, our decisions, reflect that I've experienced a class A miracle, that I know God. I experienced his love, his grace, his kindness, his mercy. Those are five things. This whole story, Jesus wants us to have life, life to the absolute fullest. In all of the story, Jesus is trying to inspire, to create, to cultivate belief in disciples, in the sisters, in Lazarus, in the entire town. A belief that would be unshakable, that no matter what happens, good or bad or indifferent, you're not shaken. Why? Because your belief is just founded in Jesus, not in something or someone else. My last question would be this. What impact do those with unshakable belief have on those around them? Okay, so say there's about 150 people here right now. 
Say all 150 of you right now decided, yeah, I want to be that guy. I want to be the woman who has got belief that cannot be shaken. I cannot be derailed. I will not be detoured. I cannot be distracted. I have an unshakable belief. What would happen if all of us left here said, that's me, that's my path, that's my journey, that's the road I'm going to walk? I love in John chapter 12, we catch a glimpse of what would happen. It says this, uh, last few verses I'll read. John 12, verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Okay, so people are talking. This is an amazing thing that has happened. People are talking, giving witness, bearing testimony of what they've seen. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. People are wanting to come to Jesus. They saw something that happened. So the Pharisees said to one another, because they're trying to figure out, how do we stop this man? How do we prevent him from doing more? And I love this verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. You want to know what it would look like if an entire community said, yeah, unshakable belief. That's me. That's where I want to go. That's the life I want to cultivate. You create a world around us that would say, now I see someone worth following. Tell me more about this Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if a year from now we, could, we couldn't even be here because we had so many people in the Boston, greater Boston, south Boston area saying, wow, the entire region is going, af- going after Jesus. Well, it starts with being a man or a woman who would say, I want to have unshakable belief in Jesus. Learn to see all the events in your life are being used by God to bring glory to God, trusting that God's timing in all things is always best for for us and those around us, that our belief is rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we would be obedient to the commands of God, regardless of how crazy they might seem, and that we would be people who dress as men or women who have been made alive. I so desire this for my life, for my family, my wife, my kids. I so desire that this would be a community that would say, yeah, sign me up to be unshakable.